So you see this confrontation that Jesus is having with these religious leaders is really escalating. It's getting very intense, but it's not a new thing. Like he's been, throughout his ministry, he's been trying to figure out, well, Jesus always knew, but they, they've been trying to figure out how to deal with him. They've been trying to dismiss him, to discredit him, all these different kinds of things. They came to him with a bunch of questions to try to trick him. That didn't work. Then he asked them a question, and they couldn't answer it, and then they were done. Like, we, well, this is not going to work. We're not going to ask him any more questions. And so they're going to find out a different way to get rid of him. But then Jesus is going to turn and use this opportunity to kind of warn the disciples and the crowds about the Pharisees. And then he's going to really turn it up. And he's going to look at the Pharisees and the scribes and really call them out. But Jesus has constantly been in this kind of this underlying battle with these guys. And you, you guys, most of you know the story of the prodigal son. The story we call the prodigal son is a parable that Jesus told in response to some grumblings about the Pharisees. And we're really familiar with that younger brother's story. Like he wanted his dad's inheritance before he died and then he ran and he spent all of his dad's money. Like all... He wasted it. He was living a horrible life. He just ran far from everything. He, he kind of came to the, to the end of that. It was a dead-end path, which all those paths are dead ends. He came to the end of that dead-end path, and he realized, you know, even the servants in my dad's house have it better than me. I mean, he's, he's, in, he's feeding pigs, and he's wanting to eat their food. Like, he's so desperate. He's kind of at the bottom. This did not work out. I thought this was what I wanted. I thought this was going to bring me freedom. And he, he runs, and he finds out this is not it. And so he's like, I'm going to go back to my dad, and I know I can't be a son anymore. I know I've gave up that right, but I'll just go and ask him if I can be a servant in his house. And so he goes, and you know the story. The father runs to him. He's, he's been watching for him. He's been waiting for him to return. And he runs to him, and he embraces him. And, his, you know, the younger son, he's trying to make the speech. I know I can't, you know, his father cuts him off. doesn't matter. You're my son. You've come home. You were lost. Now you're found. He gives him a robe. He gives him the ring. He says, hey, go kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. My son is home, which is such a great story. It's such a beautiful picture of God's grace. It's such a beautiful picture of what he offers all of us who have run far from God, and we identify with him so much. That younger brother, so many of us have a similar story where we ran from God, where we, we chose to live as far away from him as we possibly could. Maybe that was college for you. Maybe it was high school. Maybe it was last week, but there's this, this pattern in so many of us that we identify with him so much, and when we see the love and the grace of the Father as he returns and he welcomes them in, it's just a beautiful picture of God's grace. But that's not the end of the story. There's another brother in the story, an older brother, who's never left, who's never rebelled. He's never, he's never betrayed his dad. He's never done all these things. He stayed right there, and he's worked faithfully, and he's worked hard, and he's tried to do all the right things. And the story ends with that guy on the outside of the party and the father out there pleading with him, come into the party, come on in. And he won't do it. Dad, you never gave me a party like this. You didn't even give me a small party. I've, I've done nothing but work for you. I've done nothing but being faithful to you, and I deserve a whole lot more than this. And we see that guy in the story, and we, we don't really want to identify with him. But when Jesus told the story, he ended it with that part of the story because Jesus was really pointing out that the Pharisees were the elder brothers. The Pharisees were on the outside looking in. They were missing what God was doing. They missed the Messiah. They missed the gospel. They missed all of it. And he's pointing out, you guys are missing it. And that elder brother, I, I mean, as easy it is for some of us to identify with the younger brother who's run far away from God, I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves, are we just as lost or just, just as in peril as the older brother was? Because he was really, really close 
And he had never rebelled, but he was just as separated. And he was just as lost. The author Tim Keller, Pastor Kim Keller, wrote a book called The Prodigal God. It's a fantastic book. It talks about the younger brother. It talks about the older brother. It talks about God's grace. I, I, I highly recommend it as someone, a book that can understand all those different things, but even help us understand how we relate to a culture that's we're surrounded by younger brothers and elder brothers all the time. And here's one of the quotes he says about that. If, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You're serving as your own savior. And so the, the question is, if we stop and think about it, could it be that maybe we're more like the older brother than we want to admit? Could it be that that idea that somehow if we're good enough, if we work hard enough, then we, we deserve something from God? That we've earned something from God? If I do it all the right way, it's supposed to work out right. God owes me. We don't say those things out loud, but this idea that Jesus is confronting here in that story and confronting in this text today, the Pharisees, the, the way they saw the world, the way they approached it, the way they approached theology and their understanding of how they related to God, it was all a mistake. They were so far off. And sometimes you see these warnings and you see Jesus do this, and it's very easy, I think, for us to dismiss it. And all that, yeah, the Pharisees, they're the bad guys. We know who the bad guys are in the story. We know what they're going to do. They're going to... They're, they're gonna, uh, trap Jesus by getting him to one of his disciples to betray him. They're going to arrest him. They're going to falsely accuse him. They're going to put him in a mock trial. They're going to hand him over to Pilate. And they're going to demand that they crucify him. We know these Pharisees are the bad guys. And so we see them in the story. We're like, well, that's definitely not me. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not, that, I'm not those guys. But as you see Jesus confront them and as you see him come against them and rebuke them, I think we have to at least stop and go, hey, is, the, is any of that mindset creeping into me? Because it's, I, I think sometimes in our culture, we're just as much, maybe even more so, in danger of being like the older brother, kind of like the Pharisee in our mindset than we want to admit and want to believe. Now, I, I, I know that none of us are like trying to be Pharisees. And when we see how bad they are and we see what they do, we, we want to distance ourselves from them. But I want to at least say this. Like, I don't think the Pharisees were trying to be the villains. I don't think they were trying to be the bad guys. If, if, you, think, if you know what a Pharisee is, like, they were trying as hard as they could to be the good guys. They were just misguided in it. They didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand what Jesus had come to do. They didn't understand really the scriptures. They, they knew the scriptures, but they didn't really understand them. And so they were trying really, really hard to do the right thing. They were trying really, really hard to be the good guys. And sometimes that helps us to understand, like, they, they, weren't, they weren't just villains. They, they thought they were doing the right thing. And sometimes in our mindset, we think we're doing the right thing, but if we've left the gospel and we've shifted our thinking away from the gospel, we can end up being more like a Pharisee than we, we thought. And so I'm, I'm looking at this passage, and I'm like, okay, so i got to show how Jesus was confronting the Pharisee. I've got I've to, like, somehow bring us all into that. <laughs> that sounds fun. Like, let's, let's have a good time today. Like, how do we look at his warnings for them and go, okay, is this me? And I immediately thought of the great theologian Jeff Foxworthy. I mean, that's ex exactly where I thought. Like, that's what we need is some 
Jeff Foxworthy, and if you don't know, students, if you're young, too young to know Jeff Foxworthy and his greatness, like he, he had one joke, comedic gold, that, that he just rode forever. Like it's, you might be a redneck if. And it was great. I mean, it was really, really funny, and it helped me kind of understand my childhood, basically, by listening to these things. And so that, that's all he did. It's like, hey, here's some scenarios. If this is you, well, you might be a redneck. You guys remember these at all? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you cut your grass and you find a car. <laughs> some of you, that just makes you sweat, like even thinking about it. But if you cut your grass and, what? I forgot there was a car here. You might be a redneck. If every pair of shorts that you own used to be pants, you might be a redneck. If your dad walked you to school because y'all were in the same grade, you might be a redneck. Too close to home? Sorry. Okay. This one's a good one for the, for the church crowd. If you've ever made change in the offering plate, <laughs> you might be a redneck. Uh, I cut this one from the first service, but I decided to bring it back in today. If you and your wife wear matching outfits to church, you might be a redneck. Hey, Jake. Hey, Bethany. <laughs> Bethany, Liam, y'all look great, by the way. Jake, no, dude, no. If your mom's ever been involved in a fist fight at a high school sporting event, <laughs> now we're really getting close to home. <laughs> I know you people. You might be a redneck. If somebody uh, drops off a donkey in your yard for your wife's birthday and puts a bow around its neck, you might be a redneck, which that sounds ridiculous and doesn't even sound like Foxworthy, but it actually happened to a friend of mine this week. <laughs> you, might, you guys remember Andrew and Adrian Hodges? They were part of our church at the beginning. They live in Sulphur Springs. Adrian's birthday was this week. One of their friends just dropped a donkey off, put a bow around, happy birthday. <laughs> so what do I do with a donkey? You don't do anything with a donkey. You just, you just say thank you. <laughs> but you might be a redneck. Like that, that whole line of thinking was just basically like, it was always designed for laughter, to poke fun at things that may be too, too true sometimes. And I thought maybe that would help us. If you could consider that one of these things that Jesus is saying, if that's, some of this has creeped, crept into our minds at all, some of these have started informing how we think and see the world, then maybe we're leaning towards being a Pharisee. Maybe we need to deal with some things. Maybe we need to have a... God, search my heart, examine me, point out anything that's not right here that's out of line with the gospel and point out so I can, I can get back on the right path. And so if these things are true, Jesus is saying them about Pharisees and they were true of them, but some of this might be somewhat true of you and me if we're honest enough to listen to it. So with that being said, if you say one thing and do another, you might be a Pharisee. If, if you... If you say one thing and then you act a, certain, a different way, if you say one thing and do another, you might be leaning towards being a Pharisee. Now, please understand, this is kind of the main complaint that Jesus had. We're talking about hypocrisy. And, and, and Jesus calls these guys, in the rest of this chapter, he calls these guys hypocrites like five, six, seven times. He continues, comes back, and so it calls them hypocrites because they would say one thing and do things a different way. And, and if you look at this passage, when he starts out, he's just warning the crowds about them. In verse 1 of chapter 23, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, Hey, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. They have the authority 
uh, to sit on Moses' seat and teach you the law. So listen, when they're teaching the law, listen to it and do it. But then he says this, but don't do the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And you remember, this is a common theme. Jesus kept saying, hey, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They would do one thing, say one thing, teach one thing, but they weren't even close to living it. Behind the scenes, they were, they were not following their own instruction. So Jesus warned the crowds, and I think he's warning us, if you say one thing and do another, then you're leaning towards this Pharisee mindset, and this is a mindset that is another different kind of dead end. And I know that we don't like set out to do that, and we're not trying to do it that way. We're not trying to be Pharisees, but here's the deal. We gather on Sunday morning, and we sing these songs, and we sit under this teaching, and we worship him, and we say all these things to God. Here's what I'm going to do, God. And then the question is, do we live that the rest of the week? Jesus calls these guys hypocrites. Did you know, I know this may surprise some of you, did you know that the world outside the church still thinks the church is full of hypocrites? Have you heard that before? It's nothing new. They keep saying it about us. I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites in the church. I understand that. Now, some of that is a misunderstanding, right? Some of it is they think that we're in here proclaiming that we're perfect and we got it all together. That's not why we gather together. We're not here saying, yeah, we got it, we're perfect, we're good, everybody else is bad. But they see it that way because they misunderstand why we're gathering. But the, the real truth behind that, it, it's it's deeper than a misunderstanding because here's what they see they see us gathering on Sunday and they see us proclaiming one thing and then on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday they see something different that we come in this here and we sing Jesus I will follow you anywhere and then on Wednesday we're like oh but but not there Christ be magnified from the altar of my life if the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. But on Thursday, our needs and our wants become ultimate, and we're not dying to ourselves at all. And the world sees us proclaiming one thing on Sunday and then living just like them all the other days of the week. And they look at that and they go, it's hypocrisy. And they're right. Because we're saying one thing and doing another. And that Guys, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about, well, we're going to live it perfectly Tuesday through Saturday, just as Monday through Saturday, just well. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about striving. I'm talking about trusting. I'm talking about allowing God to change us bit by bit, slowly, so we, we just continually become more and more like Christ, day after day, beholding his glory, being transformed into this image. Like, that's what we're talking about. It's a journey. It's a pursuit. Not perfection, but we're just moving towards him. And the hypocrisy is when you're just like, yeah, I just, I just do that on Sunday and I check it out and I do whatever I want to the rest of the week. And that's, that's fair to say. It's leaning towards that. If you say one thing and do another, you might be a Pharisee. If you seek approval from men more than God, you might be leaning towards the Pharisee. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to forget that in God, because of what Christ did, I have all the approval I will ever need. I don't need anybody else's approval because Jesus Christ has died for me, demonstrated his love for me. I'm accepted. My identity's wrapped up in him. I don't have to worry about anybody else. But then on a real-life basis, I'm like, but what do they think about me? Did they like this? And the Pharisees were constantly doing things for the approval of men so that people would see how great they are. 
Look at verse 5 of 23. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. You see, they were doing it for the show. They were doing it so people could see them. They could do it so people are look at the Pharisees, look how great they are. The phylacteries. (laughs) In Deuteronomy it says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul, like, all, like the thing Jesus quoted last week in the greatest commandment, that's where it comes from, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then, and then right after it says, and teach these commandments to your children. Talk about them all the time. When you're walking down the road, when you're coming back, like when you're laying down, when you're getting up, like talk about these with your children. It says, put, put, put the commandments on the doorpost of your house so you'll see it when you come in and out. And then it says, bind them like on the frontlets of your forehead and bind them around your arm. And they read that instead of thinking, wow, Jesus wants to, God wants us to be serious about the commandments. He wants us to be, our lives to be permeated with his word. They're like, we should bind them on our foreheads. And they made these little phylacteries, little boxes, and they made tiny little copies of Isaiah and the scriptures and put them in there, and they tied them around their head, and they would bind another box with a tiny little copy of the scripture around their arm. Like, that'd be like Second Chronicles when you're really serious about God's word. Like, that's where you put there. And they would walk around with this box of, I'm going to pull out my little Isaiah and get my glasses and read this to you. Like, that, it was all a show. It was all about what people think. See, look how holy I am. I have, the, I have this thing on my, I have the Bible on my forehead. We got to be careful that we're not doing this for the approval of men. I think maybe, maybe that doesn't look like a phylactery today, but we're doing it for the gram. You know what I'm saying? Like social media is like, hey, look at, look at me. Look at how I serve people. Look at all the things I do. Look at all the things it's just so easy. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying social media is evil. I'm not saying that post what you're doing is not a good way to promote what is going on here, but I'm just saying sometimes it's all about the heart. Are you doing it for the likes? Are you doing it for the Lord? Are you just seeking the approval of man, which is so tempting all the time? Are you just seeking the approval of God and you know that you already have it in Christ? Because when we, when we shift away from that, we start to look around us and we start to seek it that way. Then we're kind of leaning towards being a Pharisee. Speaking of leaning, if you lean towards legalism and lead others astray, you might be a Pharisee. Sounds horrible, right? Nobody's doing that. Nobody set out with their goal this morning. You know what? I'm thinking about trying out legalism because that sounds fun. Maybe I'll like, find an online course that I can sign up for, how to be a good legalist. Nobody's doing this. Nobody said, hey, I'm going to be a legalist. I'm going to lead others astray. The Pharisees weren't trying to do that either. But they had gotten so caught up in this legalistic mindset. Now, let me just tell you, legalism sounds scary, right? It sounds like the anti-Christian word. We don't ever want to be accused of being legalists. But here's really, just like boil it down. Here's what legalism is. Believing that you can earn your acceptance with God. Believing that you can do enough good things so you'll be accepted by God. That's the foundation. Now it takes a bunch of ugly expressions out there, but that's where it starts. That's the root of it. And that mindset is all in our culture today. That creeps into all of us. That's the older brother. I've, I've done all this. I deserve. I've earned. And the Pharisees had missed it. They, they, they were missing the gospel. That's, that's literally what Jesus says. In, in fact, I want you to see this as the passage continues. And, and we didn't have it all read because it's so much. But if you look at verse 13, 
Jesus now turns and he starts directly confronting the scribes and the Pharisees with these seven woes. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. If you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They're they're missing the gospel and they're leading other people to miss the gospel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, single convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus is talking pretty serious here. He's not trying to sell merch. He's telling us the truth, right? Like there's no WWJD bracelets in the background. You, when you do this, when you, when you lead people in this mindset, you're making them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. These are harsh words because it's a, it's a serious matter. They were completely missing it. They, they were rejecting the gospel. They didn't believe in Jesus and re, they wanted to reject him and all that he did because they thought, no, we got to earn our way to heaven. We got to earn our way to acceptance before God. And every time they taught that, they were leading somebody else away from the gospel. That's what they were doing. We don't do that. Except sometimes with our kids. I mean, if, if I'm honest, like, So many times as I was raising my kids, I found myself leaning into being a Pharisee really, really well. And and here's what that looks like, I think. I think it's when we're so concerned about our kids' behavior that we forget their heart. That's pretty easy, right? Especially when you're at Walmart. Like, all I really care about in that moment is them to behave correctly. Like, just don't embarrass me. But it's all the time. It's so easy to creep into how we're raising our kids because I think if I could just make them do the right thing, say the right thing, act the right way, then I'm successful. I've I've done my job as a parent. That's why you get in these situations, and I've done it so many times, where one kid hurts the other kid, and you're like, hey, tell your sister that you're sorry. And he's like, no, I ain't doing that. Like, no, you're going to tell her you're sorry. And he's just like, he starts getting stubborn, and you're like, we'll shut this whole thing down. We won't go anywhere until you tell her you're sorry. And then finally, after a lot of pleading, a lot of instruction, a lot of commandment, a lot of threatening, you get this, sorry. You're like, okay, good, I won. <laughs> good, that's exactly what I was going for. Until you stop and think about it. I'm like, no, this is, there was no Sorry. There, there was no apology. That wasn't real. That was from the heart. That was like, if I say sorry, and I don't even mean it, but at least I say it, then we'll, we can move on. We can go to Six Flags or whatever. Like that, that's, and what that is, is it's raising Pharisees. It's teaching your kids that their behavior is more important than their heart. And we, we got to figure out better ways to do that. We got we to gotta point our kids to the gospel. And it doesn't mean that we don't worry about their behavior. It doesn't mean that we don't teach them the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that we don't point them to the commandments. We're told to do that. But we do that understanding that the law doesn't save us. The law points us to our Savior. We do that with understanding that no one has ever been justified by keeping the law. It's impossible. The law shows us that we're lawbreakers and we needed somebody to keep it for us. There's another book I would recommend if you're in that parenting season. is the book Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick. Here's what she says in the context of this whole idea about what the law can be for in our parenting. She says, again, it doesn't mean that we don't teach our children God's law. We're commanded to do so, but not to make them good. We're commanded to give them the law so that they will be crushed by it and see their need for a Savior. The law won't make them good. 
it should and will make them despair of ever being good enough. And in that way, it will make them open to the love, sacrifice, and welcome of their Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the difference? Like, yeah, we're going to teach them what to do, but when they don't do it, it's the opportunity to point them to the one who did. Yeah, you can't keep the law. You can't do this perfect. That's not the goal here. The goal is to remember that you need a Savior, and we need to raise our kids with that so that we're not raising up little Pharisees because here's what happens. We embrace that mindset that behavior is more important, and we pass it on our kids, and we're leading them astray. And we got to give our kids the gospel and, and use the commandments and instruction in the context of the gospel, or we're leaning towards being a Pharisee. If you care more about rules than people, you might be a Pharisee. It, if you look back at this passage, it kind of gives us hints all throughout. Verse, verse 4, the Pharisees tie up heavy burdens. They're hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They, they stopped caring about people, and they only cared about the rules. They, they, they cared so much about the rules that they missed opportunities to minister. What were they complaining about Jesus all the time? Like, how dare he heal somebody on the Sabbath? He healed them. This guy was blind, and now he can see. He couldn't walk. Now he can walk. Jesus healed them. And they were like, I can't believe he would do that on the Sabbath and break that law. Why? Because they were more concerned about rules than they were people. And it wasn't just like big things. It was... It was they started focusing on all these little bitty details of the law. If you look all the way in this passage at verse 23 of chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He gives us a word picture here. They would take their wine or whatever they were drinking, they would take it in, in, in case a gnat had flown into it. And that, if drinking a gnat would make you unclean, they would run it through a strainer before they drank it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't ever want to be unclean by drinking a gnat. He goes, you're straining out a gnat while you're swallowing a camel, which is the biggest animal and the most unclean. He's saying, you're majoring all these minor things. He said, tithing is good. Like, you're, you're so worried about tithing your herbs and spices. And here's what you're missing. You're missing ministry. You're missing people. You're missing this, this opportunity to show mercy, to work alongside God to establish justice. When he says that, it reminds me of the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6 he says these words that are good for all time. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What do I do? What do I bring to God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What will be good enough? What, what kind of sacrifice can I make? What kind of rule can I follow for God? Here's the answer. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You're so focused on the rules that you're missing ministry. You're missing people. And the Pharisees were way more concerned about rules than were people, and sometimes it's easy for us to be that way, isn't it? I was studying this this week, and I asked this question. Do people that are far from God, would they, do they feel comfortable coming into this body? And, and if not, how do we change that? 
And, and I think we're good at welcoming people. I think we're good at inviting people in. I think we're good at all those things. But do people far from God really want to come up here? I, I don't know the answer to that. But I do think that if we think of it in a different way, then it helps us even more. And that is like, do people that are far from God, are they attracted to you or they avoid you? I mean, people that think differently, do things differently, that completely different path. Are they attracted to you? Or do they avoid you? Or maybe it's the other way around. Are you seeking those people out or are you avoiding them? And I'll be honest, like too many times I'm avoiding that. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I got my path, I'm going to follow Jesus. I can't, I can't slow it down with all these people that are caught in sin. It's a Pharisee mindset. I, I didn't ask for permission, so I'm going to get forgiveness later, I guess. But my wife, like, she, to me, is a great example of this. Because she works as a nurse in a surgery center. And, I mean, like, every worldview you can imagine, she comes into contact with all the time. And the stories that she comes and brings home all the time, there's a consistent theme. It's not perfect. It's not always. But the consistent theme is that the people that she works with, they know where she stands. They know who she is. They call her the pastor's wife or whatever, and she has to deal with that baggage. But, like, but they, they come to her for help. They come to her for advice. They want her to speak into things. They, they hardly ever listen, but that's a different story for another day. But they, they come to her because they see how much she loves and cares. I mean, when you see what Jesus was doing, the people that wanted to be around him were the people that were the farthest from God. And the people that thought they were the closest to God, they were avoiding him like crazy. And our lives ought to look like that. Our lives, our church, like as we are scattered into the world, it all look like that. People far from God, like they ought to be somewhat attracted. They may not understand us. They may think that we're strange and weird, all those things. But there ought to be some level of like, they got something that I don't have. That we're helping them. That we're not so concerned about rules and staying and being right that we're missing relationships and we're missing opportunities for minister all around us and I mean, I, I'm personally challenged by that when I read that because I think so many times I'm probably leaning towards being a Pharisee. If you try to hide your sin rather than dealing with it biblically, you might be a Pharisee. <laughs> Man, I, for, for years, that is what, how you describe Sunday morning is we all put on our good clothes and we come up here and we try to make it look like everything's fine. Man, we got it all together. Everything's good. Good. How you doing? Good. That's the answer. And we think we got to put on this show, make it look like everything's fine so that we can come together with God's people. And that's, I mean, that's, not, that's not this. That's not gospel. The gospel says, no, no, we're broken people and we're hurting people and we got problems and we failed this week and we, just, we drifted off. And I come up here because I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ. I need to be reminded of the truth. I need other people around me to sing these songs so I'm remembering that this is true. This is how I want to live my life. I'm coming in here because I'm broken and I need help. The Pharisees, they were all about making it look like they were fine while on the inside they were rotting away. That's what Jesus says here. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs. 
outwardly appearing beautiful, but within you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When we try to hide our sin, try to make it look like we got it all together, instead of dealing with it biblically, we're leaning towards being a Pharisee. And Jesus was so against these people because they were missing out on life. They're missing out on grace. They're missing out on the gospel. 1 John 1, 9, 1 verses 8 and 9 says this way, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to hide it. Together, we're going to walk through this thing, and we're going to help each other, and we're going, to, we're going to see God give us victory over our sin. But we don't have to hide it to come in here. We have to come in here and say, be honest and open and say, no, I need this more than anything else in my life. I need each, each of you. So we don't have to hide it. We can deal with it biblically, and we can receive that cleansing and that forgiveness. And I want you to hear that in this whole thing. Like Jesus is throwing down these woes. Woe to you, woe to you, hypocrites, blind guides. He's using harsh language to them. But the word woe is actually a word from a funeral. It's like a lament. It's like a, it's like a mourning word. So what you need to see is not angry Jesus, but like heartbroken Jesus. Because right after this, in this next part of the passage, in, in verses 37 and following, he, he does a lament towards Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you up like a, like a, a mother hen gathers his, her chicks under the wings. I, I've longed to gather you, but you've rejected it. And his heart is breaking for these people because he knows they're missing out. And that's the heart that you need to see in this. That's the heart that all of us Pharisees, those who tend to be a little bit like Pharisees need to hear. That's the heart that all of us younger brothers that run far from God, when we turn around, we need to know. He longs to gather us back to him. He longs for us to come home. Luke chapter 5, verse 30 and 32 is another confrontation he had early on with the Pharisees. And it says, and the Pharisees and their scribes were grumbling at his disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician. It's only those who are sick that need a doctor. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <laughs> There's so much hope in this today. There's so much hope for all of us, the younger brothers, older brothers, all of us. Like, if we'll just admit, yeah, you know what? I'm sick. I need help. I need a doctor. I need a, the great physician. I, he's the only one that can help me. And we'll turn to him and we'll be honest with our sin, honest with our struggles, honest with our shortcomings. Even when we're leaning towards the Pharisee, we'll come back and turn to him. We'll receive help. We'll receive healing. Jesus came and died on the cross, taking our place, so we know that he has taken care of our ultimate need, our separation with us, between us and God, so we know he'll take care of all the other things as well. We get help. We get healing when we turn to him and know, recognize, hey, I, I need it. I'm sick and I need help. Let's be the people that do that. Let's people be the people that pursue him, knowing that his arms are wide open today. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth in your word, all of it. When we're being taught and when we're being corrected, when we're being encouraged and when we're being warned. 
We know it's all good for us. And so help us respond to your word in obedience, whatever that looks like. Uh, Not because we are obeying to earn our way to you, but because of what you've done for us, God. It produces us in a desire to respond by following you. And God, I pray that that will be for your glory and our joy today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.